Hello, Rantbox TV watchers. I'm Simon, and I'm your host for this week. Don't worry, John's not being cancelled. As per usual, on Rantbox Fridays, the panel and I are going to bring you a commentary on a topic that I personally believe has become more prevalent in recent years. The panel and you at home may agree or disagree. However, I hope it gets everyone involved to have a course to think. Okay. So today's our central theme will be on the subject of cancel culture. So first and foremost, for everybody, what does it mean to you? I think that's Reshma first. Thank you, yes. Oh, it's such a big question, such a big question. Um, for me, I, I mean, I work in anti-radicalization, so it's it means a lot to me uh, when I see people starting to take more accountability for themselves as, as well as for other people and asking people to be careful with what they say. At the same time, um, of course, I, I don't support witch hunts. And um, when we're looking at mediation, I feel it's about um, the difference between tolerance and intolerance. And um, coming from quite a sort of actively religious spiritual background and also putting that into my work. Um, I've seen over the years, lots and lots of um, uh, people asking for my community and communities close to my heart having to, to be more and more accountable for our practices. And um, so we have situations where you know, the, let's say some religious community, because I've also worked in, I work in a, in a faith group, which works with, um, as well as uh, interfaith dialogue, also multiculturalism generally. And so in that, we're always being asked to be tolerant. And so when looking at people who, who claim to be tolerant and everyone else says they're religiously intolerant, um, I, I, of course, had to, grow a thicker skin, become um, maybe sort of more, have a, a clearer internal dialogue as to where to draw the line between um, my personal feelings and let's say prejudices that I would never have known I had had I not been forced to be accountable for my thoughts, not to talk of my speech. So it's meant a lot to me personally, it's impacted my life because um, it, in the work I do now, which is working with young people and working in faith institutions, working in schools, there's so much bureaucracy now and things I could say a year ago, I can't say now, not to talk of five years ago. So um, that, that internal dialogue has, has changed rapidly and significantly. Okay, that's great. Um, does anyone else have to add onto that from Reshma? I mean, I think for me, what I see in cancel culture, and I'll go into more of this later in a later question, but a lot of how I see cancel culture as it has kind of played out um, is to do with addressing a power imbalance, really. Like, when someone has a platform you kind of and that could be any platform where you your voice kind of bears a certain amount of authority you kind of then gain a certain responsibility over how you use that voice 
and I see cancel culture as a, an attempt to kind of address that power balance in some small way. Yeah, nice. I like, I like what you said there. So, okay, do you want to say something first, Simon? Um, if anyone else wants to carry on or anything like that. John? Um, well, I mean, I would add um, to Matt's point that it's important to look at the, um, say, the origin of at least online cancel culture, because I firmly believe it was happened before it was given the name, let alone being online. It was started off on Black Twitter in an attempt to basically take down R. Kelly as someone who was seemingly getting away with a lot of horrendous crimes, which you don't really have to go into. I mean, you can, but I really don't want to. Um, mm. So essentially, I think it's important that we realize where cancel culture as we know it um, online started off, because I think that's often left out of the equation. Yes. Yeah, um, definitely in, in those respects. I mean, um, following on from what Reshma said, um, I've, I've spent some time you know, looking at um, YouTube groups uh, and so forth um sort of looking at and a particular group asked uh, a stylist and writer called uh, Aishat Aibi uh Kambi sorry about the problem with cancel culture and she says something very similar and something I feel she says that um for people within particularly um strong religious beliefs and so forth for them to have never said anything you know or homophobic or, or racist or in certain respects um they could be kidding themselves and it can be deeply difficult to bring yourself out of that mindset unless you are prepared to look through life through a different lens and if you are just going to keep yourself within those groups you will end up just following along with the leaders of that group following the the herd or the shepherd and so forth and additionally with council culture on top of that as well i feel that with the rise of social media you have a lot of bandwagon jumping as well people see someone that they don't like they don't necessarily look into what they've said in the past what they potentially would say in the future they just see what they've said at that moment in time and then caught and as mass hysteria you might call it grows the calls for them to be cancelled, all their work, everything that they've done is, is could be potentially destroyed. Um, I have a significant issue with some of that, but we knew that was going to happen. Um, maybe yeah. some of you haven't spoken may want to say something because I yeah. don't want to monopolise too much of this. Or not. Um, I agree with what Simon's just said to an extent. Like, you know, it is a lot of bandwagon jumping with cancel culture. Like, I have found, I've seen that online quite a lot. So, yeah, I agree with what Simon said, and it just might have an issue with that. But, yeah. Uh, Matt, uh, sorry, Ollie. To be, honest, <clears throat> to be honest, I was thinking, um, as you were saying that, there was one uh, interesting point raised on a very recent uh, monk debate, um, which kind of interested me in the sense that um, moral panic was the phrase used by both sides of the debate. And I found that quite interesting in the sense that, um, like you say, like, yes, people are jumping on the bandwagon, but sometimes it's not an act. Some, for some people, it's an act of jumping on the bandwagon in order to appear relevant, particularly for corporate interests or public figures. 
I think for a lot of people as well, it's it's a moment of, I think when you mentioned hashtag me too, there was a moment of a lot of people went, oh, hold on a minute. And now they struggle to find a position in which to occupy where they can feel like they're doing enough, that they are correct, that they know what the correct thing even is to begin with. That's quite hard, I think, for, for a lot of people, especially if it's um, a power imbalance, as you guys said, that um, affects a, a culture or group or area of life which they have no personal experience um if you see what i mean um just jumping off that point for a sec because I, I think it touches on something that has really come to the fore of my mind uh recently kind of starting with the big uh cancelling of the labor party during um you know and i to be fair i i had a, a lot of pause to bring this up uh, because it's a very sensitive issue. I barely feel qualified to talk about it, even though I'm majority, majority of Jewish descent. I don't feel like I have enough Jewish identity to really be uh, attached to the issue in the same way that someone who is actually, you know, fully like Jewish in terms of the religion and the culture and everything to do with it. I'm basically just by blood, um, semi by blood. But when all of that was happening, one thing I found very interesting that I noticed, and I really wish I could give you the article I read on this, um, but there was a very interesting conversation happening about how when you're part of a culture that has been injured so grievously by something that's happened in your collective past, you kind of develop a very thin skin when it comes to certain issues and certain things and even, you know, you get down to as granular as the way Jeremy Corbyn pronounced the name of a Jewish person because it was more German sounding than Jewish sounding and was another reason to, you know, lob certain um, insinuations of anti-Semitism. Don't particularly care to comment too much on which way I feel about that. But the point being that I think if you carry that deep injury in your personality, that is part of your collective consciousness as a, as a uh, group of people. I don't even necessarily think it's intentional the way this cancelling process works, because if you feel like you're under attack, then whether or not it was intended that way from the person who is doing the um, quote-unquote cancelable deed, like I think that reaction is very valid and very real if maybe sometimes a little uh, misguided. Okay. Uh, okay, so John, I think you had another point. Well, somehow Oliver has found a door, a back door into my mind because everything he said was pretty much <laughs> what I wanted to say. I'll add to it in accordance to um, the final question which I'm leading on. So there'll be more for me to say regarding that particular topic. Not a problem. So what I'll do now is move on to the next question, which is um, why has the phrase cancel culture become so popular in the last two years? Um, I believe that is Ollie. Yeah. Um, so obviously a lot of this dovetails into what we were saying before. Um, this could be a whole topic in itself. I mean, really um, historical context. Context in general is sort of the problem with all of cancel culture, I, I personally feel. Um, I think it's worth pointing out that, as you say, 
Why has the phrase cancel culture become so popular? I think the phrase is the most important thing, not the concept, because the concept is frankly an old one in the new skin. Um, from like Salem witch trials to Telgun and Joe McCarthy to, you know, you name it. Um, human beings naturally like to smack each other down to keep each other in line, it's a societal thing. But the phrase cancel culture in the last, I feel like maybe it's a little longer than the last couple of years, but obviously it's one of those crazy things where the internet has taken a sort of almost a joke and then run with it. But I think the real rocket fuel added to it is frankly the culmination of a long period of years of the shortening of dialogue, the simplification, the um, removal of all nuance from conversation. Uh, I'm sorry to say it, but Twitter is the absolute devil for this. It's the worst thing. And it's so obvious that it would come from Twitter. But someone, you know, someone like say, Donald Trump is the obvious example, but where people have tried to do something with Twitter to address an imbalance, to improve society, the people who dislike the improvement of society can then take the thing that people have tried to do, demonize it, weaponize it, and turn it back on the people trying to make it work. Even though actually in many cases, people like um, conservatives, small c conservatives, Donald Trump, um, regressives, I'm gonna say, um, particularly in the American establishment, um, are more guilty of it than anyone. Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick, I never know quite how to pronounce his name. Um, the Dixie Chicks, I mean, really. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> basically, um, that this last couple of years has really just been around the political landscape and the landscape of needing a hammer to beat progressivism with, to need a mm -hmm. stick to hit people with verbally. And it has to be a small phrase. It has to be a two-word phrase. Everyone just gets angry at when the slightest touch and council culture is the perfect thing because you've got so many small c conservatives people who aren't quite on board with the full progressive as far as you go left wing it gives you know it allows them to express a dissatisfaction with i think a persecution that they feel true or not um i think at this point it's probably best if i hand over to someone else because... well, i was just gonna say ollie uh, maybe people don't know about kaepernick and chicks could you do two lines on what happened with them so, um, again, forgive me if I get some of the details wrong here. Uh, I believe Colin Kaepernick um, took a knee um, at a sports game in order to protest. American football. American football, thank you. Yeah. Um, to protest mistreatment of, of black people in America, police brutality, Black Lives Matter, depending on. I'm not sure exactly how closely associated he was with Black Lives Matter, but that was the point. From there, a lot of people started burning Nike trainers because Nike was sort of behind him on this that's a cancellation um with the dixie chicks that's a slightly older example from back in the day where the dixie chicks were very disapproving of the war in iraq and or w um and because of that they were struck from pretty much everything every radio show south of the mason dixon line ironically um wouldn't play them to the point where they've now even changed their name to just the chicks because they don't want to be associated <laughs> with the dixie part anymore so it's things like that um you know, it, it works on both sides. I, I hate to say the both sides argument, but it does. So. Don't be sure. sorry. I like you, Ollie. You're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying not to get into your head again. Sorry, John. 
get out. Get out. Get <laughs> Just think about all that tangle you had to get through. That was some shit. That was heavy. Oh, don't worry about Ali. I've got a comb for it. I can I can get through that thing. Don't worry. <laughs> don't do this. We can see what you're saying, and it's not true. <laughs> um, has anyone else got anything to say on this subject? No. Okay. I've... I mean, I can I can, sure. I can say something. Um, I don't want to go too far into because I think it comes in a bit later again. But um, I think. A good part of this as well, like what uh, I can't remember who mentioned it, but the idea of, you know, like I think it was you, Simon, about, um, you know, Trump being removed from Twitter, like Twitter trying to sort of even the scales somewhat in certain ways. For me, it and, and also building on from what Ollie was saying about, you know, kind of snappy, short and wrong, the perfect tweet, you know, to, to start to start some beef online. Um like i feel like a lot of this comes down to um the situation we have around monopolies when it comes to social media i feel like some of these problems are a symptom of what happens when you have enough people on a platform that they represent several small nations and you have to meter out sort of divine judgment on everyone equally you know like it's very very difficult people are going to disagree and in the end I'm not sure any one organization actually deserves that much power. Yeah. Um, so uh, generally from where I see it, it's um, for, with, you know, reflecting on both what Matt and Ollie said, for me, it's sensationalism. Um, the idea that these short, sharp headlines then move on to clickbait and so forth. And people will see a particular ha- headline get particularly angry without actually reading into the article itself, even though the article's normally trash. I've read so many articles recently where they relayed exactly the same information, sort of uh, a biography of the actual person, what they've done, without actually talking about the issue until the third paragraph. And the reason why they do this, clicks means money. Clicks means anger, anger, means more clicks in my opinion um if it's possible at this point i may want to um in fact, I, think I, I definitely have to talk about our perception of crowds and how that perception can sometimes if not often be a problem in terms of talking about what we're doing now um maybe some of you have heard of gustav Le Bon. i don't want to presume but he wrote a really, really interesting book um, called The Crowd, The Study of the Popular Mind that was written in 1896. Now, essentially, he views crowds through the anxiety of the elite, um, to paraphrase um, another person who was talking about this earlier, uh, Thomas Dixon. Essentially, we have this idea that crowds are this maddening entity that even if you're an individual in that crowd, what you have to be aware of is that once you join the crowd you suddenly lose all sense of perspective and you're basically um, going to be uh, part of something that is out of control. Now I don't know about you but I figured that was a bit strange so after a bit of a search um, I found out about a person called well E.P. Thompson he's a British historian and he conducted a a study of assemblies basically um, and his idea was based particularly around the, the food um, 
uh, well, I, I'm calling it food riots, but in his study, he found that most of the people that were involved in that were really trying to suggest, and this is in the 18th century as well, um, that the price of grain was not favorable to the common man. It wasn't favorable to the common person, so to speak. And that was why they were protesting. And those laws reflected um, at considerable changes based on that movement. Yes, there were violent um, uprisings within that movement, but they didn't define it. But the way it was reported to the masses was as, um, as you suspect, that the crowds are out of control. We can superimpose this um, in regards to the events of last summer with BLM. Yes, there were instances of violence, but what often isn't reported unless you're checking out um, quite a few blogs that are interested in, say, um, the nuances of what was going on is that people were crossing over state lines to join um, those protests and smash up buildings in the name of uh, anti-capitalism. And they were trying to hijack it, some of them for nefarious reasons. Um, so what I'm saying is, if we're talking about the online version of crowds, um, it's very easy for us to keep on saying that because there's a lot of people angry about something, that there will be a lack of consideration as to the argument. There's quite a few think pieces on this kind of stuff now, and us being in this room talking about it in this way isn't a singular event. There are other, you know, pushback against that. So if you, if you think of all that in mind, maybe that might pepper some, uh, some different thoughts across what you may already have to say coming up later on. Okay, fantastic. Um, if anyone has anything else to say, let me know, or I'll move on to the next question. Okay, um, so the next question that we have today, uh, I think it's going to be headed up by Alice. Um, so does cancel culture have any benefit in today's society and moving forward? Um, okay, so I think to kind of understand what benefits it does have in society today, we need to understand that it came from a good place. Like, I think it was mentioned earlier that it started on Twitter and it went towards things like... Um, Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith cancelling the Oscars due to whitewashing. So if we think about it starting from that kind of place, but then we're thinking now it's been hijacked by the internet. Um, it's one of them, like, it started as a way for people to call out culture. So there's this call out and cancel culture difference. So it started out as calling out people for injustice. And you've got to bear in mind, we've been living in a climate where... Um, abuse on the internet has just skyrocketed, hasn't it? And abuse of power in like companies and industry, that type of stuff, it's spiraled out of control. And at the end of the day, we've mentioned accountability. And for some of these power structures, so we think about like, um, there's been a lot of allegations recently against singers like Marilyn Manson and stuff. And this cancel culture, this idea that the internet will grab something and run with it. For some of these people, nothing's been stopping them. They've had no reason to question their power. Like, they've just been given it and given everything they wanted. But this idea now, like, if we're taking, not as I'm not thinking about, like, um, someone mentioned earlier about that it's been flipped by the right-wing media. I'm thinking about with general, like, people on the internet, like, the idea that they can cancel someone and say, you know, it's ridiculous. Like again, taking it back to Manila Manson, all these allegations have come out and the internet has basically ended this career. 
And for some of these people, that's the only reason that will stop them from making these decisions and abusing that power. So you, you can disagree. I, but I think in that way, it's given us a way to, to deconstruct these power structures and question them. And it's allowing people who've been previously denied that voice to have a voice. And I'm not, I'm not for advocating witch hunts at all, but in that respect, it's given some people this kind of voice that they didn't have previously. And plus as well, for me as a teacher, I've got students now who are actually thinking for the first time about what they're putting on the internet and what they're saying, because could that tweet be misconstrued in the future at some point by an employer, you know, and for people that have not been thinking in this way, like council cultures affected them. It started making teenagers, like my teenagers anyway, really aware of what they're putting out there and what's going on to the media. And if there is a chance that they could be cancelled over something. So in that respect, I do think it is holding people accountable. Can I just ask then quickly? <laughs> mm-hmm. just, I know, I know you got it. So I just, just wanted to ask quickly, you know, be more devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. People, of course, should be aware of what they say. However, should they be scared to stand up for something they believe in? I don't think they should be scared to stand up for what they believe in. But there's, when I'm thinking again from the perspective of the students I teach, the young, the 16, 17, 18, and they haven't, they've got views about the world that aren't really fully formed sometimes. So while they might believe in it now, like in five years down the line, are they going to believe in it? Like they should stand up for them beliefs. And I'm all for advocating that as long as they're, you know, they're well-informed beliefs. But at the same time, having that question in your mind of, is this racist? Is it sexist? Is it offending anyone? Is it doing anything like that? Having that them questions there, what before they put something out into the domain, is kind of you know it's again providing accountability, the thinking around it rather than just doing it. And like I think that's the same for a lot of celebrities or um, people who are out on the public domain, getting thinking before they put content out and thinking is the you know is there anything wrong with this? And don't get me wrong, I think that they should. Be, you know, it's like freedom of expression and stuff. You should be able to put it out there and the points of view out there, but it is leading them to question about whether it's the right way to do it. Um, very quickly, I think um, back in my day when dinosaurs walked the earth, <laughs> if you had an idea, you would actually share it in the safe space with your friends and family. But mm-hmm. obviously um, things have changed for people of a certain age. There is that need for constant validation or the idea of celebrating themselves. And so I can see that Twitter like is the anus of the devil and I fucking hate it. Everything that comes out of it, I can't stand. But essentially people want to be associated with that platform with their first thought. And so I think if anything, what you're encouraging in your classrooms, Alice, is great because you're trying to get these people to try and figure themselves out a bit more before making a big placard out of it. So I think that's just worth worth saying. Thank you. I think there is, um, if I may, uh, I think there is an interesting point here raised, which I think you're kind of getting at, Alice, but I, I want to kind of slide slightly to one side, which is that 
obviously in the future, I, I think one thing I would like to see, the one thing I would like to see in general for the entire world is sort of um, an almost, uh, to use a fancy phrase, uh, almost Jesuitical casuistry kind of approach to things. That thinking that you were talking about and what John is saying, the safe space. Um, I think if nothing else, the only thing that's different between the culture of the internet and where we are in 2021 and the culture of 1921 is the amount of information and the amount of context and the amount of morality we're expected to exercise at all times. That requires education, it requires mistakes, and it requires you know repeated attempts to understand things. But that also has helped, I think, and I would like to give a little shout out on the internet because obviously we've talked a lot of smack about Twitter, uh, justifiably so in my opinion, but there are also other spaces, um, places like Quora, I spent a lot of time writing on Quora, and although there are a lot of opinions on there, which probably could have gone through a few revisions, if not a few, you know, transorbital lobotomies, um, there is a place there for people who are educated to then explain their ideas and get a wealth of different answers to the same question instead of reading the same newspaper, instead of hearing from the same politician, the same musician, the same, you know, from Vox, from Medium, from whatever. I think there is a space for that, but yeah, the thing that I would love to see from to when council culture sort of, as a phrase, shrivels out and dies is that everyone is then, you know, more educated and taking more responsibility for their own uh, ignorance, for want of a better term, or lack thereof. I feel I like... Ring, my time to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like, in a way, the uh, the human brain isn't wired to deal with talking to several million people at the same time, which is kind of what you're doing on Twitter. Like, you know, um, the uh, evolutionary psychologist uh, Robin Dunbar has, like, this famous Dunbar's number. You can't really know more than 150 people in a a truly deep way, you know, like the human brain just can't process maintaining more than that many relationships. Um, and I think that is a big part of why it's it becomes such a thing and why you need to think about this because, you know, when a lot of us were young, there wasn't this, this access. And so you could say something and it would just be a, a random thought you had, not something that someone's gonna comb through in 10 years and be like, oi, this guy is a racist because they made a comment like, you know, 10 years ago. And although their attitudes completely changed because I've said this one thing that's been time stamped on Twitter, they're permanently tarnished. You know, like we just weren't used to that kind of scrutiny. And it's something that we're, we're kind of having to come to terms with now. Well, with that logic, do you think that things will at some point start petering off in terms of, our association with our need to be on a platform and say something and our association with thinking, hey, wait, let me think about this. Do you reckon that's gonna slowly change within culture because of this um, high watermark or, or high pressure point? Just jump in, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I kind of agree with Simon a little bit as well, at least with the current pattern of the internet. And this is kind of me speaking as a as a developer with with certain knowledge of stuff but um like i i feel like the business model for social media is to mine content out of its users and because of that its very foundations are based around getting people to spew their uninformed opinions as quickly 
and as um, you know comprehensively as possible. And I think until we remove that kind of carrot and stick uh, machinery that is around social media, because you when you say something right right on Twitter or Facebook or in a comment thread or whatever, you gain a certain sense of social currency, you get the likes, you get the responses. It encourages you to take on a more uh, abrasive, confrontational manner. And because of that, the bad takes keep coming and they don't stop coming. Can I add to that and also to add to what Simon was saying? We are not the only people that know this, right, Matt? At some point, seeing people do this makes them vacuous seeing them rig the system as much as they can or use a rig system to get that kind of attention nullifies their brand. We're becoming a lot more, um, this is probably a very, um, say, highfalutin word for this, but we're becoming more enlightened as to what it is when we log in, you know? That person that you're meeting online isn't necessarily John, Matt, Simon, Oliver, Reshma, Alice. That is a, a caricature of, to an extent, based on what people perceive of that, you know? So I don't believe that the idea of it getting worse is an easy proof. And I'll go more into that with my final question answer thing. Oh, so Reshma, do you have anything on this at all before I wrap up? No, no, not a problem. So for me, um, and I think we'll discuss this if we do have another subject. I personally have an issue with virtue signaling generally um, from brands and companies more often than not um in regards to going back to the, the question uh, does it have any benefit in today's society yeah and that moves back to i think it was alice's point in regards to calling people out um so some of you know maybe some of you don't know um i've worked within the corporate space for many many years within london and the city and essentially i worked on the sales floor and it's a boys club majority but we are interacting with young ladies on you know a daily basis and so forth um and when i first started let's say oh my god in the 2000 early 2010s god <laughs> um would be said on the floor and i have been guilty of saying risky things as well to fit in as well nothing that got me in hr but you know i've heard horrible pretty damning things um were lauded and applauded by ladies and gentlemen as well and what i found over you know the last four to five no maybe four years or so there's been a, a shift and a change in regards to calling people out and cancelling um the individuals who have always benefited from that slightly more bullish nature because it's seen as a dominant trait especially within the corporate world as leadership qualities and also as uh uh you know forward thinking people because often the, the the biggest dog is the loudest dog and so forth and that is what we want to show so therefore in in that respect i do think there is definitely a benefit to people not being afraid to stand up and call things out however and we'll talk about this at another time sometimes that can go the other way as well but i don't want to get into that right now what i do want to do is get on to our next question um which is can anyone provide any advantage examples of when the wrong person got cancelled 
and why? And I'll add to that when the right person got cancelled. I guess if no one else is going to jump in, the one that's jumped straight into my mind, and I'm going to keep this very brief, is uh, it's Johnny Depp quite recently. I appreciate that's actually still a little bit up in the air, but um, it was interesting to see how quickly the internet decided to jump on, on Johnny Depp and decide that he was the worst thing in the universe. And then actually, as it turns out, maybe he wasn't. Now, I mean, that does come with a somewhat classic... Um, story attached and I think people's presumptions come from a more common form of uh, I don't want to say abuse but um, that's an, an example of where I think that where a number of newspapers and a number of media outlets and then a great deal of Twitter decided already before the court of law really made any sort of decision on it to do away with Johnny Depp and Again, I, I say this with the knowledge that, to be honest, that case isn't close. I have no idea exactly how that's going at this very minute. So it could I could be completely wrong. But um, I thought that was an interesting point because I was watching that unfold going, oh, are they going to are they going to back off of this? How is how is Twitter as a group going to style out this mistake or not? Are they going to keep hammering away at him? Even if the law says, even if the evidence says that he was guilty or not guilty, are they going to still keep going or are they going to back off? And it seems, when last I checked, everyone's just sort of decided to zip it and say nothing rather than admit any kind of mistake. But um, I'd be curious to hear if anyone has any more updated news on that or if I'm talking nonsense. I think Disney have finally dropped him. Disney have, which is a big thing, um, especially with like Gina Carano as well. They mm. kind of pushed into this position. Uh, John, did you have anything? Um, just that essentially the A story was that he was abusing his partner, yes? And then yes. we found out that, in fact, she was abusing him. But we also found out, if I'm wrong, this is my question, that there was abuse going both ways. And the problem is that Twitter didn't know how to react to that because it was a nuanced development. Um, so it might be best not to try and take a barometer approach to all of Twitter in that way, because specific people who were talking about Johnny Depp weren't silent. They just didn't have the correct um, ammunition to supply Twitter with what Matt has already detailed, which is the angry bomb, you know? So that's my take on it, really. I think the word nuance there is the most important part of everything you've just said, because as we said before, nuance is the thing that is lost. Any problem that re requires more than, you know, 20 words to, to dismiss is, is a problem that's not worth having on the internet or is a problem that needs to be warped so it fits within 20 words. Um, and it's, it's tough. I think the, uh, Simon mentioning Gina Carano was an interesting thing because that comes down to corporate cancellation and, to be fair, I mean, from my personal perspective, I think that she had a few opportunities and anyone who works with Disney should know better than to bring up the Nazis because, well, Disney. Um, but again, you know, is, is that helpful? I, I was kind of wondering how long Bill Burr was going to last un, under that particular corporate cancellation, but he seems to be okay. Uh oh, no. Simon knows. He's, he's scared. He's scared. He said it already. He's come out and he said, because he came out for support for Gina, because if anyone doesn't know Bill Burr, he is a very controversial comedian 
way before any of this came out, any before the the term was even coined. Um, and it, especially when I was sort of developing my my love of comedy and stand up, it was people like him, Richard Pryor. Um, I can't remember the 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 Australian guy. Is he the Australian guy um, who drinks all the time? Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, him. You know those type of offensive comedians. Um, the Scottish guy as well. They they make me laugh. It's dark humor, and I would wish that they wouldn't be cancelled, but they may be in in twenty years and so forth. John or anyone else? Um, I can got... I can think. Oh, go on, go on. Now, no, no, it's fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. No, I, there was just a, an example that I thought was very interesting that I've been thinking about uh, in the lead up to this conversation. Um, if anyone is familiar with uh, Doja Cat's uh, experience with being cancelled, I thought it was quite curious. Um, so the story goes, and I am not the most read up on this. I think most of these most of these cases, it's like there's so much nuance to it. Like unless you're digging through someone's personal life, looking for receipts, it's kind of difficult to stay up to date. But from what my understanding is. She used to hang around in some pretty uh, dodgy places, sort of like uh, 4chan type boards. Um, she kind of got in on, she was, she was in some chat that had white supremacists in them. Um, she kind of uh, spent some time around that kind of scene, uh, trying to get in with people with, with so-called edgy humor um and people have you know come at her online about having sympathy for far right the far right mindset because of where she came from even though from my reading of it and and i I, i'd love to see if anyone else had done another take on it sounds to me like she was a young person trying to find a place in the world trying to find some people to hang out with found a little bit of acceptance in somewhere which maybe was not the best place to hang out but hey we can't help the friends we make or the people we encounter and as far as I understand it at least it seems like she's very much moved on from that. Um, just to say that what you said Matt has reminded me there will be like a part two to this if not a part three because there's way too much to talk about but essentially what you're talking about is essentially um the transitive profit of cancellation for example if if i wanted to ally myself with someone on a creative project and it's known that they basically have done something which has made them cancelled do i now become cancelled you know so i'm thinking that we'll probably move into that at some point because that's a massive part of this as well Alice, did you have something? Yeah, I was just going to mention about, um, I know that everyone's probably heard about Ellen DeGeneres being cancelled, and I think that she's one of the most justified ones for it. Like, cancel culture really took her and ran with it. And I think that it's it's justified that she was cancelled because, you know, the woman's built a kind of brand on being this nice person, you know. She's really kind. She engages with all these different celebrities on, like, um in the media and she built her brand on that and then for it to come out finding out that you know she's got this really toxic in work environment and a lot of people have been complaining about it for a long time and it's just gone completely unheard until the emergence of this internet beast that's talked about like you know let's cancel everyone and 
I'm not the most read up on this, I won't lie. But I do think that, you know, there's, it's again, it's open question, these powers, like, and it's justified that this, like, she was cancelled for that. If anyone disagrees, feel free to say. Sorry, I missed the name of the person you were mentioning. Just Ellen DeGeneres. Ah. I actually completely missed that cancellation. I've got to be honest. <laughs> I, I like the fact, Matt, that you kind of went, Ellen. Okay. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I wish I knew more. I heard about it, but I just, yep. you know what it's like. You can't follow it. It's difficult to follow everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and as John said, you know, I, I personally as well think this can go on for two or three more subjects. The other thing I just wanted to say, I think I can't remember, was it John in regards to, if someone does get cancelled, do people associated to get cancelled? Um, I want to just briefly mention um, J.K. Rowling. Um, I think she's got escape velocity. She's too big. She's gone. She's an institution. But there was a Scottish children's author called Gillian Phillip. June 2020, um, she had her publishing deal cancelled because she wrote a tweet saying, I stand with J.K. Rowling think about what you may at this point if, if anyone has wants to say anything right now that's fine or we can move on yeah i'll actually just add to that um again with the the guilty by association um it's it is interesting that you know you've got i i maybe the dichotomy for me is is trending versus cancelling sort of thing so it really just depends at that moment and I think sometimes you can sort of just come back around again so it, it kind of goes back to, to what I was saying right at the beginning that I personally realized I had to grow a thicker skin and I think that's what in my opinion what we should all actually learn from this because otherwise it's just a, a battle of the egos and a battle of the sensitivities which in my opinion you know are you so were you grimacing so by <laughs> No, not at all. I, I just I found something on my foot. Sorry, Joe, you can edit that. Sorry, okay. So this is one of the things where you can cancel me for because you know I share way too much with people. Um sorry, just yeah, with that as well, sometimes it can be used in vengeance as well. Um exactly. Yeah, um, so growing a thicker skin would be a great thing for a lot of us. But hey, mm-hmm. that's maybe for another day. Um, so I think, there's, sorry, there's, John. There's definitely, I think there's more to be said than that because essentially saying that across the board might be troublesome for people who may not have the same representation as say JK Rowling. Obviously I'm thinking mm-hmm. of the people that she has, you know, insidiously tried to cancel herself from her lofty ivory tower. But yeah, mm-hmm. to be continued. To be continued. Okay, so I think uh, we are getting close to the end, um, but I want to move on from that to, uh, is there an alternative to cancel culture? And um, we have discussed it a few times, but I think Matt, you had a really great point about uh, decentralized social media and, and so forth. Yeah, things. absolutely. This is, this is kind of my personal um, bone of contention. I've already talked to John about it for a good 40 minutes or so. So I'm going to try and keep it um, brief. But basically, uh, as I outlined earlier, I do think that a certain amount of cancel culture, at least when it comes to online um, 
really does centralize around too much institutionalized power in a centralized place with financial backing and incentives to keep it there. Um, it's a problem with free market capitalism. It's a problem with uh, social uh, communication in my mind. And I really think that we live in a culture now where we're so used to going to that one place to find everything. Um, I think the internet over the last few years has really hemorrhaged a lot of its use and its power and, and just its, its general kind of binding, binding principles by this emergence of the monolithic social media empire, be that Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. They're, you know, they're all the same, you know, part of the same brush in my opinion. Um, and I think the big problem here is when you're letting a computer sift through millions of opinions to choose you the ones that are going to get you the most riled up, attached to the screen, watching adverts, providing data points that the company can then use to analyze and manipulate you to have a certain political opinion, buy a certain pair of shoes, doesn't matter. It's about, you know, data being the most valuable asset in this sort of um, ecosystem we have out there. And I really think, and I'm not saying this is the answer, I'm not even saying it's like potentially workable at this point, because I think the way, just like within free market capitalism, you can't exist outside the system, you need to be part of it. Um, with social media, there are a bunch of really cool alternatives brewing under the surface, especially things like the Fediverse, where you have basically a set of networked uh, forums that can all talk to each other. So you join a community that has certain values and you basically have neighbors that you can talk to as well as people right the way out there on other parts of the Fediverse that you've never seen before. And because of that, it encourages a more kind of get to know your neighbor's mentality that I think short circuits some of this need to really put someone on a pedestal and you know either listen to what they say or cancel them. Either way, I think it, it cuts both ways. Um, there was somewhere else, another way. That was it. The other point I was going to make is that I think part of this cancelling thing does come down to how we get our information. And wrapped up in this, I think, whereas where we came from with the internet and we would just go on Google, we'd go on a forum, we'd go here, we'd go there, where there was no one website we'd spend the majority of our time on, we could find more holistic opinions and more diverse array because they weren't tailored for us. It was just the sheer Brownian motion of being on the internet. And because our news feeds are now generated for us, I think it really does restrict the like breadth of information we have coming in. And that fundamentally changes the way we use the internet. Rant over. <laughs> there was, um, there's an interesting point that I, I kind of want to run with just for a moment um, intellectually there, which is an interesting, uh, there's sort of, I don't want to say hypocrisy, but there's sort of a conflict of interest where I find a lot of the people who are very free, pro free market, pro libertarian, um, pro choice, pro informational choice, not, you know, the other pro choice. Um, sorry, something wrong. Um, the kind of people who are like that are the kind of people who are the most upset 
when people take their group opinion, their dollar vote, whatever you want to call it, and then use the internet to then place that on someone. Um, cancel culture is almost a free market of opinions in action. And I find it fascinating that the people who are the most, you know, social Darwinist tend to be the ones who suffer the most from this and then complain the most about it. It's, you find yourself thinking, well, that's, you know, that's the free market in action, my friend. How 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 will you deal with this? But I, I find it interesting that, um, uh, like you're saying, Matt, that um, obviously tech is geared towards giving you more of what you want. Perhaps then that um, that monopoly of, uh, you know, like the free market is great, but the thing is, monopolies destroy the free market. And so uh, a free market of ideas is great, but a monopoly of ideas completely undermines it. And yes, Facebook is a huge player in that. Because let's all face it, Yanan is is definitely reading <laughs> scary tweets and scary stuff on Facebook. Um, you know, so yeah, it's an interesting parallel between the free market dynamic and the debate there, and a sort of ideas free market dynamic and how that works. And and they've both ended up in the same place, which is why we can't have anything nice. <laughs> Moving on, anyone else? Yeah, I was giving a round of applause because it's just, that's just beautiful, both um, what Matt and Oliver have said there. And um, I just remember when um, when religion got cancelled about a decade ago, maybe more, I remember that it was the whole idea of freedom of speech, freedom to insult. Do you remember that dialogue? And um, I don't know if it still continues, but I always felt, well, you know, if if we're being forced, I keep saying it, to grow a thicker skin, which is what we kept being told. We're allowed to be insulted because we've been apparently intolerant in the past as if we were all one person. You know, I don't know how many um, religions exist now or cultures or value systems or spiritual belief practices, but I'm sure there's loads. And, you know, we were being treated as, as this one because you know we had an idea that um, you know there's something else other than what we're experiencing in this realm and um, it was just interesting how the the moment in my opinion cancel culture came around that everyone became so sensitive suddenly and uh, it shocked me actually so that's why I, I, I see the humor in it actually and I just feel I mean I think we all take our sensitivities too seriously, which is what I was saying at the beginning. And I've been forced to, to see the humor in, in all of this and or try to, but when someone genuinely needs help, isn't dealing with something, that's when the empathy, the sensitivity and the sympathy also has to come out, like what you said about building communities. So it's, it's being human as far as I can see. Be, just be human, be kind. <laughs> I think there's a lot of power to just you know the act of listening basically like i think a lot of the problems stemming from the phenomenon of cancel culture come from a a reticence to listen and and and, and give give people their due you know on on both sides but i think especially on the sort of the person in the elevated position who's being cancelled like Quite often, and I'm not saying it's the case always by any means, but quite often the cancellation wouldn't actually necessarily need to happen if they just acknowledged that they'd hurt people and 
taken ownership of that. And whether they say it's right or wrong, at least listen to the other side and address their concerns properly, rather than trying to pretend that it wasn't an issue and ignoring it. Like, I think so much could be prevented if there was just a little more self-reflection on both sides, but especially for the people who are accused of doing these things sometimes. What if they're being paid to make people angry? Oh! <laughs> no! <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, then they quit live on air and go uh, and then go over to a right-wing TV network to start up, don't they? I think that's the new trend. Sorry, so I, I, I lost all you guys. I think I broke the internet with that statement. But, um, what, what I mean by that is that we do have particular talking heads and commentators who are paid to get people's back up. This takes me back to sensationalism and, and clickbait titles. We've all... I'm sure we're all aware of what has happened this week and a certain person leaving one of our major, major television. Now, they knew what he was. They knew what his opinions were. And, and he makes people annoyed. And I, for one, hopefully I get out. We get out of this pandemic as quickly as possible because I do not want to watch those shows anymore. I want to be on the tube or doing something else. But I have seen repeatedly that people will miss him will miss the fact that he antagonizes people um, for, yeah, and call him what you wish. He, he was bullshit and he did say what a lot of other people were saying uh, as well. And, and ITV are responsible for that. Sorry, giving that away. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm thinking for like maybe the two or three American um, viewers that we have or people who aren't in the UK, maybe you want to tell us who you're talking about and why they left just very quickly right okay so the sorry, and the few. sorry sorry americans um, so it, the person i'm talking about is of course piers morgan who is a columnist he was previously the editor for the sun newspaper mirror. Is a mirror? No, sorry the mirror there we thank you ollie and, and he has a, a column in the daily mail he's also a presenter on Good Morning Britain, which uh, runs from early morning, I believe from 6 a.m. till about 10. Actually, I absolutely know that. And um, he, um, over the last, you know, I'd say two, three years, it would seem that he's had a problem with one Meghan Markle, who is, of course, married to our Prince Harry. Um, Since the interview has come out, he has made certain statements that have been taken very very poorly by all sides and some people have supported him and the decision had been made by him ITV through public pressure as well because there were 41,000 Ofcom complaints um, over the last 24 hours to 48 hours that made him leave or be fired I hope I didn't get anything wrong with that. But yeah, that's Jeremy good. in a nutshell. Would you consider that him being cancelled? Forced out of the position in regards to being cancelled? No, he did it to himself, yeah. uh, essentially. He did it to himself and, and, and in that regards. But I think the broadcaster ITV were put in an untenable position, similar to Gina Carano, where they could no longer protect him and the uh the amount of advertising revenue that he generates 
um, it wasn't worth it to keep him on board. I was actually talking about this with one of my colleagues today and it just goes back to what you were saying about him being paid to make people angry. And she said, um, I know he's a dickhead, but at the same time, um, I loved watching him because he caused murder on the telly and it was just boring watching it today. And I was thinking about it and then, you're right, he's being paid to cause drama and it relates to that need in all of us that we want to see a bit of murder, we want to see a story of a morning. So, it's yeah, so he's left because his views are vile and I disagree with him totally. But that's why he's been kept in the position so long. I think that's why he hasn't been cancelled, essentially, up until now. Do we all want a little bit of murder and story in the morning? I think a lot of people do. I think Jeremy a lot Kyle. of people I know. Wasn't yeah, Jeremy years. Kyle? Years. Jerry Springer as well. <laughs> um, Facebook as mm-hmm. is an entity. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I've been sucked into it doing research for this and I just read the comments and it is amazing. It, it, it's just, you. Th- 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 there is no nuance. There is no time for nuance. You just say what you say and you see the same responses over and over and over and over again from similar groups of people as well and i sometimes i don't have to look at the picture i could just look at a name and go cool i know i I know what a name is sorry do we inherently want this or is it something that we're so used to being sold that we don't even question the crap that's coming into our screens let alone thinking about oh my god that piers morgan shaped hole in my life what do i do maybe there's like a space for something else i don't know I mean, I feel like we're, we're in a bit of a chicken and egg situation there because I'm not sure we're talking about a supply and demand problem here. I'm not sure it's that there's a demand for this content and so it's being made. I feel like there's more a little lever in our psychologies that's being flipped. It's like a hack. It's a way of garnering attention that I think the, the, the mod, like modern media specifically has kind of learned to exploit more and more from social media is this, you know, way of getting, uh, of um, kind of uh, accumulating attention. Engagement as well. Yeah, exactly. I think there's an interesting um, way that this relates to cancel culture and in general, this whole thing of um, clickbait, shock jocks, Rush Limbaugh's, the late Rush Limbaugh. there's an interesting part here where you say, okay, what if people have unpopular opinions, but do we cancel them then? But then I think the interesting thing is about someone with Pier- like Piers Morgan or Katie Hopkins or Rush Limbaugh is that they are professional asshats. Yeah. That is their job just to be asshats. Now there are, there are genuine asshats who have a philosophically considered position of asshattery. Um, your Ben Shapiro's, your, um, you know, your Jordan Peterson's, I have to throw so over my shoulder or something every time I say his name now. My um, those guys who have some kind of intellectual standing, I mean, it may be shaky, it may be great, but they're people who have a position that they've considered. Piers Morgan doesn't consider his position as he vomits out a vegan sausage roll on live television. You know, he's just being a professional ass. Canceling a guy like that doesn't really, I, I shed no tears for a man like that who gets his butt handed to him for doing that and then pushing it too far. But also, like I said, he's kind of doing a Clarkson and going over to this Fox News thing, isn't he? So, hmm. sorry. <laughs> Punch the table. <laughs> it's, about, 
so it was i don't know i guess from the 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 birth of, of um tv internet and i'm sure formats before that it's um it's about ratings and when ratings are down shows shows get cancelled and i think in america they've got that culture much more they've already had that cancel culture with regards to fighting for their space on a on a television platform and I'm not sure about this, but I have a feeling that America knows Piers Morgan very well. Um, I, I feel, I, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he had a show there for a while and he was, yeah. So he got very big there for exactly the thing he's now being canceled for. Um, although his show probably got canceled, which is why he came back to the UK, I actually don't know. But um, his character um, is what they really liked. Just like um, that other, that lady, what was her name? Is it Anne Robinson? Was that her name? She used to, yeah, she used to be horrible. Weakest link. Yeah, oh. she was horrible to people. And we liked that, apparently. Um, yeah, and um, there was someone else who was like that before, um, Michael Parkinson. Do you remember? He was horrible to people as well. So I just think. Well, Oh, I, I don't know. know. I, I thought he was horrible. Shit. To I liked him. <laughs> Shit. Fuck. I gotta go watch that Ali interview all over again. I missed that. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Thanks for that. Yeah, okay. But um, it was just taken up a notch, sort of every decade or something. So, and something went wrong. Like, didn't something go wrong with Jonathan Ross? And he got what? Has he cancelled as well? Ages ago. No, he, came, he made a comeback. Yeah. He What's going on? He Wasn't it his wife? I thought it was the Russell Brand thing. Was that not Jonathan Ross? Yeah, was it not yeah. calling um, the daughter of the gentleman who played oh, Manuel yeah. in Faulty Towers yeah. mm -hmm. and doing some inappropriate things on the phone, I yeah. think was the... Yeah, that was a bit tenuous, I must say. Um, I, th I think... Uh, sorry, bringing us slightly back to the question again, um, I just had a thought that... How much do we care? Like, um, what I mean by that is like, you know, I think there are times when cancelling matters and there are times where it matters a lot less. Like some of these high profile cancellations, like for instance, when we were talking about JK Rowling, like even if it did, if the shit did stick, even if she was successfully cancelled or whatever, she's made her money. She's easily sorted. Does it matter? You know, like there when we're talking about an author who like mentions her and gets cancelled for it if that's like her entire livelihood and it's being taken away from her and she's got nothing to fall back on maybe that matters a little more but for a lot of these examples we're talking about someone get cancelled they just lay low for a while maybe forever and they still they, they don't actually receive all that much off the back of it no, absolutely. And guys, I really do want to sort of get into this because I've got things about Weinstein Productions and all the people that lose their jobs off that and things like that. But I really think we do need to move on to our final question, which is going to be led by John, um, if that's OK with everyone. Um, and I suppose we cover this quite a lot, but just to find out, you know, who has the most to gain from being involved in cancel culture? Um, this is a great question that you've given us, Simon, and I think what Matt just said is a leap forward in terms of everything that, you know, we've discussed so far. Um, primarily because cancel culture as two words 
it's very difficult to define when it comes to who is getting cancelled. I'm going to use Gina Carano as an example. Um, I don't think she's been cancelled, like newsflash. Essentially, when Ben Shapiro rings you the next day and said, hey, you've just been cancelled by the big mouse. Why don't you come and like, do some work with me on my film company? Why don't you basically like come under my wing? She streamlined her brand due to this situation with Disney. They've given her um, a whole platform to do whatever she kind of wants without any kind of restraint now. People who are empowered by what she has said, those people, um, as much as uh, a lot of them may have their own mind as to what they're doing, things or whatever, like when it comes to Gina Carano representing them um, and probably in the most gross way, she's been given a chance to do more of that. So she can't be canceled. We were talking about JK Rowling before. JK Rowling can't be canceled. She's got mainstream newspapers, um, online versions of whether it be the Guardian or the Telegraph, who don't necessarily label her a turf. They won't because she doesn't conform to that idea explicitly enough for, for her to be described in that way. But we know that's what she is. This is why you get Daniel Radcliffe deciding that, hey, she kind of gave me a career, but what she's doing is kind of messed up because the character I played represented outsiders everywhere. That's why she was basically canceled, yeah? So who benefits from it? The people who are saying that they're being cancelled, the people that reposition themselves as apparent victims of mob culture, doesn't exist, you know, not in that way. Um, there's more to be said than this, and I'm very, very irate about it, but someone talk and stop me. <laughs> stop me. <laughs> okay. It's like what you were saying earlier, I think you were quoting Le, Le Bon, uh, regarding the mob not really existing. Something like that? Uh, no. The, no, the mob, um, there are people who will storm Capitol Hill and then there are people who will make a march for BLM, yeah? There, there are people who will congregate around uh, Trump in rallies and laugh when he makes fun of a disabled journalist and then there are people who will make the walk through Selma. So I want that to be clear. Wow. Okay, I have nothing to say now. <laughs> oh no, sorry, I'm not cancelling you. You're being, I'm, I'm uncancelling you. You're being uncancelled. <laughs> um, okay, so so um, there's different types of crowds. The, the ones that are sort of more um, articulate, for want of a better word, more focused, more led. And then there's another type who are opportunists and things like that. Is that what you were saying right at the beginning? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, we can go. Yeah? Okay, I just wanted to make that distinction understand if that's what you were sort of clarifying again, because I don't know Le Bon, I'm not, I, I don't know that work and I want to read it. What was it called? Uh, Gustave Le Bon, um, The Crowd. Um, but I'll, I'll add a link to the description oh, box. So people brilliant, can thank you. Check on that a bit more. Um, but yeah, essentially, I think it's really dangerous to think that these people can be cancelled. On the other side of things, there will be, um, as we've spoken about, people who are uh, experiencing a big change in their life who don't have those platforms. I've actually got a note here because I want to say exactly what this person said rather than try and think of um, the actual essentialism of it, because essentialism is the problem. You may have an abstract idea, and because you've said that in a flamboyant way, as time goes on, it becomes 
not only is this person um, suspected of being, uh, I don't know, a, a sexual predator, they are a sexual predator because that's what becomes a snowball. So let's talk about the person that I'm talking about, Justine Sacco. Um, they were on a flight um, to various different countries tweeting out a load of really hyperbolic claims about various um, people from different cultures, not necessarily a, an actual uh, character or person, but talking about Germans as a whole, talking about Mexicans as a whole. When they're going to South Africa, they write in their Twitter, um, which only has a few followers at this point in her journey. She writes, going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, I'm white. Now, when she's, I know exactly, Ollie, your face is what the whole world did. And that's the same face she had when she got off the plane because she found out that her whole world had changed. Somebody had retweeted what she'd said. And three weeks later, after a lot of shouting, she lost her job. Now, that in itself could be one of the main things that we talk about in our next video because I, I take it from some of your reactions that some of you didn't know about this, but that mm. is a case where um, being canceled has affected someone who didn't necessarily have um, a certain kind of ability to streamline their brand. But then it goes back to what Alice was saying earlier on, or rather what I was commenting on what Alice was saying is that it's time for a lot of people just like get away from the keyboard and mm -hmm. think about what you're doing. You may not think you've got that many followers, but there are people now who have um, whether they be thin or thick skin, they've got a certain sensibility that when they see something and they think this is wrong, they will want to share it with others. So again, rant over. This is becoming unbecoming of me. Someone else. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I was just going to just add to that, John. That's from So You've Been Publicly Shamed, for how I know it from the John Ronson book, who also did, I think, Men Who Stare at Goats and also The Psychopath Test, which are two of my favorite books of all time. Um, I, I remember reading that and thinking <laughs> that's quite funny but yeah it was just one of those things um does anyone else have anything to say before I wrap this up I had um just an interesting thought that I observed a bit earlier when we were talking about free speech um I just thought it was worth mentioning that I'm not sure you can say free speech exists in the way some people contextualize it to because if we're talking about my freedom to walk down the street and say whatever I want, then yeah, sure, that's free speech. I can expect somebody to come and uh, lamp me in the face if I say something particularly offensive, but it's free speech. The um, thing about once you take it out of that context, when you start talking about public radio, TV, social media, whatever, these are all other people's backyards that you're playing. In. So I think it's kind of a misnomer to say free speech is protected protected on any of these platforms it's the platform's definition of free speech is protected um before we close i'm hoping that you guys um, whoever wants to return for the second part may want to do a bit of research on martina navratilova um and well basically that whole case i think is fascinating in terms of cancel culture um how someone can be known for being one thing and promoting the idea of um, fair equality within the sport um, and their, their gender being relevant to that. And then them saying one thing which takes them into a whole completely different other space. Um, I've got a lot to say on that. 
Um, but yeah, that's my main thing. Simon, I'll allow you to get back in the captain's chair. I will stop doing this. End the show, man. No, John, you know it's your ship, but uh, I'm just driving today. So, um, guys, um, you know, I if anyone does have anything else, I just want to finish with, you know, where I, I stand with who has the most to gain. Myself, personally, I think it's brands, corporate companies, when they jump on board with virtue signalers. That's my thing. Uh, essentially, a lot of them find a trending topic, as I think Reshma mentioned as well, and immediately their Twitter handle has changed to, well, the one that we saw a couple of last year, Black Lives Matter. The amount of Xbox games that I played that suddenly just came up with, we do not accept you know, any racism, which is a great thing, but I do not believe that EA Sports or Activision care at all. I don't believe them at all. They... Sorry, no, I'm not going to make generalizations, but that, that, that's just me with that. But, um, guys, you know, this has been an absolutely wonderful subject, and I know, uh, sorry, uh, discussion, and I know that you know we could talk about this for a while, and but I think we should wrap this up at this point and maybe carry it on in another uh conversation. So, hopefully, some of you guys will be back, we might sw- switch it up, um, but. Um, as, as you know, we normally do, I want to give everyone a chance to let people know who they are, because I didn't tell the audience who you are before. <laughs> um, so if you want to just take a couple of seconds just to say who you are and what you're doing and anything that you want to mention. So, John, you know what to do. So go. Uh, yeah. Um, Actually, this is your first time. This is your first yeah, time. That's yeah. a good feeling just to be able just to talk and not have to be internet daddy and corral people's conversations. So thank you, Simon, for doing that job very well. Um, in fact, there's no need to apologise for not introducing the panel because I never do. Essentially, I want it to be subject driven. I can't stand YouTube videos which spend 15 to 20 minutes of the host and the guests congratulating each other like they've just come out of some strange kind of heaven. So that is the format. Um, I am very happy to be part of this discussion. Um, what do I do when I'm not in it? I'm doing more discussions like it. Um, <laughs> due to the pandemic, I'm not doing any music videos, which was actually my actual day job. Um, and I've become uh, more of a writer to the fact that I've actually written the book. So there's a link to that in the description box. That's me. Anyone else? I guess I'll jump in there then. Um, my name's Ollie. I'm a music producer by trade and a musician. Um, I'm also a long-time philosophy student, so I've tried to not over-philosophize here, but I think if there's one thing everyone needs to take away from this, it is to play to our comic book tropes. With great power comes great responsibility. The more power you have to speak, the more responsible and educated you need to be in order to do so. So, you know, don't let willful ignorance be your excuse. Civil and substantive debate is the future. Next question. <laughs> um, I'll go next. I don't want to follow that because that was a brilliant ending line. But I'm Alice. I'm a further education teacher um, of English in Liverpool. And yeah, I haven't got any lovely ending lines like that, but I agree with what Ollie said. Beautiful. I'm, I'm Reshma. Um, I'm an artist and writer and I work in um, gang mediation and interfaith dialogue and anti-radicalization. I always think that's so cool when I, uh, I just, I think the second time I've heard you say that, but I think it's so fucking cool. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just had to say that. Um, yeah, 
I'm I'm Matt Gatham. Uh, by day, I'm a web developer. I, I build websites and, and play with computers. Um, and when I'm not doing that, I'm trying to run a three-piece punk band called House Pileup. Uh, got an album that's hopefully coming out this year. We'll see. Uh, a lot of work doing that when I'm doing a nine-to-five as well. But new single home coming up soon. Watch this space. Okay, that's fantastic. And uh, just finally with myself, um, I'm Simon Mitchell. Uh, my day-to-day is involved in events and business development uh, as well, looking at consultancy. When I'm not doing that, I am a professional uh, comment lurker, I guess. Uh, I search for people to debate with on Facebook from time to time, um, but they never play. They never play. Um, and I have started to go down the uh, rabbit holes of MBTI, which I am trying to push all over the place because I find it fascinating. And I just want to know who you are by looking at you within 20 seconds uh, or how you talk. So that's me. But um, guys, thank you very much for being here. I hope you have a lovely rest of your week. And to our audience, look out for the next uh, round box. that will be out on Friday. Is it, John? Every Friday. Every Friday. So thank you very much and goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.